0: This is episode number 358 with Heidi Zack of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating,
1: fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now, 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 the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: And so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e commerce, and so much more. So, if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Fam? Hope you're doing well. Nathan Chen here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. And welcome to another episode. So let's talk about today's guest. Her name's Heidi Zach, and she's the founder of a company called Third Love. This is the third largest online bra and underwear company in the US. And if you want to know how to start and scale your own e-commerce business and do like crazy things like she's done with her marketing, then, uh, You're going to love this interview. It's incredible what she's done with this brand. Like she quit her promising job at Google and she's decided to take the plunge on this company. And we really go all the way back from early stages, all the way up to where this company is at now. Um, You're going to learn a lot, guys, like why she quit her job. Like she bootstrapped this company for almost a year where they started Um, you know, taking what's working, the early days of the minimum order quantity before Shopify, how they had to build their own uh, platform and the mistakes there, Um, the try before you buy initiative, which really, really, really unlocked serious growth, how they're competing with like Victoria's Secret, how they plan to become the largest online underwear brand in America, and so much more. All right, guys, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. Share this with your friends, your family, anyone that wants to start or grow a business. We work so hard to find incredible founders. We don't charge you to just share their journey with you and all their experiences and lessons learned. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now I jump to the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself... Doing the work you're doing today. Uh,
1: Yeah. So I was, um, you know, in earlier in my career was in New York for ten years. I worked for a big retail company called Aeropostal after business school. Um, Found my way to the West Coast to San Francisco. Was at Google, and I was out here at Google and really starting to drink the Kool Aid, as I say, of like being a tech founder and seeing cool things that people were building um, and really getting inspired and looking around and being like. I think I could do something and, and that, that, you know, that would be really fun and interesting and cool. Um, and at Google I went to the mall because I needed a new bra and I was shopping in a Victoria's secret store because that's what I've done since I was a teenager and bought some bras. They didn't really fit. I took the striped bag that I, they gave me and I stuffed it into the bag I was carrying because I was embarrassed to be shopping at this brand that just didn't reflect who I was. And I came home that night and I started doing a lot of searching, looking for a bra brand that, you know, matched what I felt like I deserved and there wasn't one. And that was really, you know, the aha moment of me to say, Hey, I think this could be a really interesting category. And in particular, a really interesting category to bring online. Um, and that was 2012.
0: Okay. Wow. And, um, you launched uh, Third Love. Uh, fast forward to now, from research, you guys are the third largest online bra and underwear company in America. Is that correct?
1: That's
0: right. Okay. Wow. That's... Behind
1: Korea Secret and Aerie, which is an American Eagles brand. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's, that's pretty impressive. So um, let's go back to early humble beginnings. So 20, like, incredible story, by the way, of, of how you had this realization. So uh, what happened next?
1: Um, well, did some research, was kind of working on it at night um, and really came to the conclusion that this was going to have to be like a full-time gig. And at the time, you know, I had savings. I was in my early thirties, didn't have kids yet. And was kind of like, well, what, you know, what's the worst that happened, right? The worst that could happen is that it fails. And, you know, I do it for a year and, you know, lose some money that I put into the company. And then I go back and work at a big tech company or, or find something else. And so, you know, quit Google, which was the big thing because when I quit Google, you know, my parents and other people were like, you're quitting Google. It's like the best company to work for, you know, in the world. And um, so there was a little bit of that, um, but quit and, you know, started from scratch, you know, without a name, without Anything without product, um, and you know the early days. I'd say the first two years, which were a really long two years, were building the physical product and then building the tech product. So we started with an app that let a woman size herself using her smartphone. So this is 2013, um, and yeah, that was the early days of the company. You know, a few people in a really large conference room building the technology and building the product.
0: Yeah, wow, and. Um, so you left in twenty twelve, and you started working on the product. Yep. Did you start with the physical product first, or the app, uh, and or both at the same time?
1: At the same time. Two very different types of skill sets needed there. So the two people that we hired, one was um, an engineer who really helped us with our mobile app. The other was a, um, a lingerie designer. So those were the two first hires. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wow. And. Did you raise any capital to get it off the ground?
1: So we bootstrapped for a while. My co-founder, who's also my husband, um, we put in um, about $50,000 of our own money. Um, we bootstrapped for nine months, probably nine months to a year, and then we raised a seed in 2013.
0: Okay, awesome. And um, how, did you, like, uh, how did you work out like this whole world that is is very was very unfamiliar to you to until you started
1: you mean the tech world like the vc world or you mean startup land or both no
0: physical products apps like meshing, meshing it together making it all work selling online like yeah
1: I don't know, man. It was, you know, it's one of these things where you're like, how hard can this be? Like, you know, we're going to figure it out. And then you start doing it and you're like, oh, this is going to be really hard. And you just realize it's not as simple as you thought it would be. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the app, this was like the heyday of apps, right? Like the app store, everything was an app in, you know, 2013, 2014. So yeah. I mean, just built and iterated. I mean, I feel like that the, in, in, the technology was actually easier than the physical product. Um, because the physical product, we had really distinct ideas on like the fit and the quality of the product. And it just took a lot of iteration and testing to get the physical product to where it needed to be. I think that took like a good two years of our time. Um, and, but you, you know, you test, you iterate, you you use focus groups, you learn, and you just try to keep moving forward. And then at some point, hopefully, things start to click and work, which they eventually did for us. So it was long and hard at the beginning where it wasn't working. And then if it works, then it's easier because you're just scaling and taking what's working and, and, and amplifying it.
0: So it sounds like you, you come from a, a... Do you have a good product management background previously in, in previous careers?
1: Um, Yeah, I did a lot of new business development. um, But at Google, yeah, I was doing more. um, At Aeropostal, I was doing launching and incubating new brands um, and features within the company. So I had a little bit of that entrepreneurial background in a big company. And then at Google, I was doing more, yes, like website testing and optimization and a bit of that. So I definitely had some of the skills needed, but I would say most of what I've learned has been on the job at Third Love. I mean, there is no handbook for starting a company. (laughs) And that's why people fund second-time founders. I always wondered that. I was like, why why can't you start a second company, even if your first company failed, people will back you? I've always wondered why. And that now having done this, I'm like, there's a reason why. Because there's like a thousand and one things I would do, you know, the next time around.
0: Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you got the battle scars to prove it. So um, I'm curious, what, what did MOQ look like for the physical products?
1: Yeah, um, well, there's always a way to pay more and get less. But, you know, with, um, with bras in particular, it's usually 3000 to $3,500 for a style color which is high, high, high. Um, so, yeah, in the early days, we would oftentimes order a lot less than that and just pay surcharges, which made our, you know, our costs extremely high at the beginning.
0: How did you go to market and what did that look like? And um, I assume you use Shopify?
1: That's also another good story. Um, no. We didn't in the early days. Well, if you think about when we launched, it was Shopify was around, but they were tiny and they weren't ubiquitous like today, right? So we built our own front end and back end in particular, because we had the app and we had sizing and we felt like we needed something more custom and that was a terrible mistake. (laughs) And we eventually moved to Shopify in 2015 and we've been on it ever since we're one of the biggest, um, Brands on Shopify today, but um, yeah. So we, so we, in terms of go to market and like product market fit, our biggest success in the early days was a program called Try Before You Buy, which we called TBB. And this program, we allowed a woman to buy a bra, just pay shipping like $3.99 and send her a bra and she didn't have to pay for it. And she could take the tags off and wear it and wash it for 30 days. And if she loved it, she kept it. And if she didn't, she sent it back for free. Um, and we marketed that program and really, you know, we stood behind our products. Like we knew we had better bras. And so that was us really putting a stake in the ground and, and, and being like, this is the moment, like this either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, we probably won't be around in a year. It worked. Um, and that program, you know, we used for years to acquire new customers. Nobody knew third love. No one trusted us. No one had heard of us. So it, at that moment in time, that was the, I would say it was the most important marketing initiative, you know, that we launched in the early days.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm curious. So it sounds like um, that was a really powerful uh, offer that converted really, really well. And you guys probably just scaled, scaled that aggressively across all performance marketing channels, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, I think the big thing, you know, is that, is that you have to find something that differentiates you or your product. And so um, this certainly differentiated us and I think gave customers the confidence they needed to try something new in a category where they had been let down a lot. It's kind of like what I was talking about. If your average woman's walking around being like, eh, I've never had a bra that worked, I've never had a great product, like why would you believe there's something better? So you kind of need something unique to tell the customer like try us, right? But yeah, so when it worked, it worked really well and it was very differentiated. And I don't know that any other brand's ever done this distinct program since. There's a lot of trial kind of things you can do, um, but you really have to know your product is good if you're not asking for money up front.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's a great no-brainer offer, right? It it removes all risk uh, for the customer. Um, Yeah, I I do think though, like, like Be Parker do something similar. Like I got this aura ring, like this aura ring, you know, you, you, they it's send you the kit. One. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like so you, they send you the kit out, you can you can try like but yeah, no. Um it, it is a great offer. It is an irresistible offer. Like it is a no brainer, it removes all risk from the customer and puts it all on the on the uh you know, the brand. But you have to have confidence in your product and yeah, no, that's amazing. So I'm curious as well, um When it came to, I guess, your big break, uh, was that when it happened in 2015 when you tried that program? Before then, was it just kind of slow going or?
1: Yeah. I mean, before that, I mean, I tell the story. I mean, there were days in the early days of Third Love where we would get like no orders or like one order or five orders. Like I remember those days vividly um, because they're extremely painful um, and, you know, You know, there's this idea sort of, or there used to be like, if you build it, they will come. And it's like, you know, if you build it, like nobody knows, you know, unless you have traffic, right. And, um, they won't come, you know? And so, um, yeah, I would say in terms of hitting a hockey stick, like growth, it came, you know, in the wake of the try before you buy program. Um, that was definitely like a big unlock for us in terms of building the
0: brand when you did go to market um, and you said, yeah, it was slow and it took a while to get going, what things did you try that didn't work? I'm curious.
1: Um, I mean, I think we tried, you know, we tried a lot of just kind of more, what I would call like more traditional ads of speaking to things that actually work for us today, but didn't at the time. So things about like, The design of the product or the comfort of the product or the fit or the quality, like the natural things you think that someone's looking to understand. But I think those things tend to work better if you have some level of brand recognition. And so that that would probably was the biggest thing. Um, We also tried, like, we had a lot of different bra styles in the early days. And there was this one bra style that ended up working that's still our number one product, right? It's our hero product called the 24-7 t-shirt bra. And so a lot of it also was, like, the trial and error of figuring that hero product out. And then once that worked, you know, when you have a hero product and you have the right marketing message, then everything becomes easy. It's like magic, right? Now, easier said than done. But yeah. So, I mean, besides that, I mean, just a lot of, like, we tried, you know, influencers. Um, I don't even know if they were exactly called influencers back like in that period, but, but it didn't, and most of them were on YouTube because this is like kind of pre-Instagram getting as popular. And so some success there, not a ton. Um, So there was a lot of kind of trial and error on different channels that didn't seem to work that well. Um, And, you know, once, when it doesn't work at one moment in time, it may work really well a year or two later.
0: Mm. Yeah, one of my mentors, he, he always talks, he's told me before about situational stage advice and you have to be careful when you hear certain things because it might not apply to where you're at in the journey. Uh, it's, yeah, always range true sometimes, you know?
1: Totally, yeah. Um, I was just on the phone earlier today with an early stage founder who I angel invested in and I was really like going back in time, like back to memory lane, like when we were 10 people, like, who did we hire? How did we think about that? What worked? What didn't? Like very different than today, obviously, right? Um, and again, it was a different moment in time. So everything's context of like any advice you get, just also, it doesn't even matter if it is the same state, it really matters the context and the nuance of who your brand or company is and the moment in time as well, because like. For example, we got into podcasts early on in 2015-ish, and still today, that's a really great marketing channel for us. But, um, but it hasn't. Podcasts don't work for every brand, well, right? But they've worked for Third Love. There's just you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta test.
0: Mm, and it takes a while to really crack a channel, like. For us, we're very strong at performance marketing. We're quite strong at organic social, but we haven't cracked SEO. Like we really haven't cracked. And it takes time, effort, testing, and you've got to earn it, you know?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I always say this to our team. It was It's funny because we, you know, we started out as a broad brand. Today we have multiple categories. We launched Lounge and Sleep last week. But when we started trying to sell underwear a few years ago now, We had a really hard time figuring out how to sell underwear. Now, this seems like we're already selling bras. How hard can it be? It's actually like when you build your company as a certain product company, when you kind of go out into the world of other things, you don't sell them in the same way. People buy underwear in a different way, meaning multiples, right? There's all these learnings about The type of thing you're selling, and just because you sold one thing really well, doesn't mean you're going to sell the next thing really well. And you have to dedicate time and effort to it. And then when you figure it out, which we have, underwear is growing, you know, doubling year on year for us more. But it didn't like we didn't snap our fingers and it was that easy. It's like same thing, different period of time, different methods, um, different approach. And uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm curious, especially because you are. Based in San Fran, um, like I speak to a lot of founders, right? And and especially in San Fran, there's this philosophy that it's product pro-product versus marketing, right? Like you know what I'm talking about. Like it's all about the product, the better the product, the better product, the better product, the better product and let the product market itself. Um, because you're there and, and you have an interesting story around this, what is your take? Is it product or the marketing?
1: Um, generally, I would say it's both, right? I mean, again, if you don't have great product, um, no matter how good your marketing is, you may acquire a lot of customers or you're not going to retain them. And that's a terrible situation to be in, especially if you're paying money to acquire those customers. So, you know, product first, quality first. Um, the question is, how good does it have to be? So there, therein lies, like, the the question, because you could spend tons of time and money perfecting a product. But generally speaking, not this is not for like a car, obviously, but for a lot of products, maybe it doesn't have to be perfect, right? Um, it has to be quite good, but maybe not perfect. And so I think there is a line um, that you can get to that it's good enough. Um, and some people who are obsessed about details, maybe, you know, there's a there's a fine line, I would say, on that. And then But marketing is really important because you need to know how to sell the attributes of your product in a way that resonates with your customer. And that is called product market fit, right? Meaning you have a great product and you know how to sell it and/or market message it. And a lot of times what you think, um, you know, like I said, what you think may be the best selling attribute isn't gonna resonate and you gotta test it. So Like at Third Love in the early, early days, um, we were running all these ads that weren't working. So one of them was try before you buy that ended up working. Another one was ready to graduate from Victoria's Secret. And that wasn't about us, right? I'm not saying anything about Third Love. I'm not saying anything about, I am intuitively, I guess, underneath. But I'm just saying, are you ready to graduate from Victoria's Secret? And many women, that was the hook. For them because they were like, yeah, I'm totally ready. And those type of ads worked really, really well for us because it's about a state of mind and it's about changing a behavior, right? Um, and so I think that how you market and the message that you use is imperative um, to success for sure.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like they're building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder. Because this is something I think is incredible. You guys have donated over thirty million dollars worth worth of bras to women in need. Can you tell us about that program?
1: We've actually donated over forty million now, um, as of the end of twenty twenty. Yeah, so basically, one of the things we found out um, early at Third Love was that the biggest need of Um, women's shelters, for example, were undergarments. So, you know, you think about um, people in tough situations, women in tough situations. Um, You think about organizations, even like Dress for Success, which we partner with as well. Um, It's one thing to give a woman, you know, job training and a suit and these things. But if she doesn't have the right undergarments, she can't even go out for that job interview. And um, most of the big known retailers and brands tend to like burn their product, their excess inventory because they don't want it to like end up in the black market, et cetera. Um, and, so we decided to take a different approach, which was to donate our product. Um, and so, yeah, we've donated a lot of bras and underwear and not just to women in need, but um, natural disasters, for example, hurricanes and fires and people who have lost everything. Right. Um, and now we've expanded internationally as well. So definitely a big component of um, of our brand
0: yeah that's amazing um, so i'm curious as well um like this is incredible growth like you guys um you know you guys are a, a market leader now in in a relatively short time like it usually takes you know at least seven to ten years to build something of true worth or significance or to be towards a category king i'm curious in that in-between time when you've, you, you know, 2015, the try before you buy, you there there obviously has been some crazy step changes that have really helped on scale. I'd love to know kind of lessons you could share with founders that perhaps have hit product market fit. We have a lot of e-commerce founders that are doing quite well that, um, you know, consume our content. Uh, I'd love to know from your take that sub yeah even eight set multiple multiple seven figures going into you know past you know your nine figures like what 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 step changes did you see and things that you guys have done to to really accelerate the growth of the business
1: um yeah i mean i think one was really expanding our size range so like expanding our offering at the right time which you know we did probably around 2018 we Um, added about 30 sizes um, of bras at one time um, to serve a larger portion of the market. So I think one piece is, um, because you want to, at the beginning, you really want to focus on your hero product, right? And then at some point you want to expand. And again, finding the right moments is really, really important. Um, And so... Yeah. So I think expanding sizes, expanding what we were, you know, the product offering. And then I think, you know, our first brand campaign, right. You know, non-performance marketing was also around that time period called to each your own. And in that moment, we really wrote a manifesto about who third third love was, why we were different, what we stood for, and the idea of like individuality. Right. Um, And, and, did our first out-of-home campaign? We took over a bunch of subways in New York City. Um, we um, took out billboards, um, and we did our first kind of high-fidelity commercial, right, and launched on TV, really expanding brand reach. So things like that were different moments um, that helped us build into like a bigger brand right um not just um not just a bra company but a true brand that stood for something that could connect with our audience
0: yeah wow that's interesting because yeah you look at um you know all these all these fast-growing direct-to-consumer brands pure performance marketing based get very very good at that um but oftentimes yeah doing Brand campaigns, like working on brand lift, um, is often an oversight. So, and it because because it is so hard to measure, and because you can spend a lot of money, and it's scary to know. Like, yeah, like like so, how did you work that out? And so you have seen like overall that that has really helped you believe.
1: Yeah. I mean, we just launched our newest brand campaign this week called Your Boobs Deserve Third Love. And it's a long form content on YouTube. It's about two and a half minutes long, but it's cut into commercials that just launched um, across the board, OTT and Linear. And um, and it is scary. It is scary. But um, I think oftentimes um, a lot of, you know, online brands and tend to focus more on performance and at some point you need to step out of your comfort zone and and build a brand. And so there's different ways to do that. And it's not necessarily always like a campaign or always TV for sure. But um it's really about who you are and like and and making sure I mean if you think about the biggest brands right that we all talk about Nike and Apple and Coke or whatever. I mean, where do they spend their money? Right. It's probably virtually all on brand. I mean again other end of the spectrum. So um, I think it's really about knowing what you're doing and how you're spending your money efficiently, um, because I think sometimes people invest too much in it, but it also is important. Um, there's no easy answer to that for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, i but I do think it's it is very interesting, you say because once the brand let once the brand gets to a certain level of maturity, you you don't have to go hundred percent performance. You can go maybe ninety five and five on brand, right? And that, and you can make it work, um, but it's just hard to see. But yeah, I really like this idea of the manifesto. I think that's super smart and really using the why, because that is how you can differentiate yourself to a victorious Secret. You know what I mean? Like, and it's it's a it's a message that is clearly articulated that. That can connect with the consumer at a much deeper level and also create more raving fans.
1: Yeah, and the manifesto itself actually led to an interesting moment for us as a brand, which helped build the brand. But it was actually virtually free, which was, um, you know, Victoria's Secret in twenty eighteen. Um, their CMO at the time, who's since resigned, um, put did an interview, and the article came out, and I was getting all these texts from people, and the title of it in Vogue was. Were nobody's third love were women's first love. And, and so he did this whole interview, but in it, he talked about like why they don't feature plus size women because they tried it in 2000 and it didn't work. You know, they would never feature anyone trans. Um, they, the fashion show is entertainment and people, women love spending their Sunday night watching, you know, the Victoria's secret fashion show. And he said all these things and, we had just written our manifesto recently to when this happened, and we decided to take out a full page ad in the New York Times, writing an open letter to Victoria's Secret, um, and it was signed by me. And it was basically like, "Dear Victoria's Secret, like we believe there's an alternative for women and an alternate view um, of what it means to be, you know, a lingerie brand and what what we stand for, what we think women want versus what you think women want." And um, you know, that ad wasn't. I forget how much it was, but the amount of media and conversation and brand connection it created for us as a company um, was hard to track, but measurable and really important to us. And having that manifesto in that brand campaign of who we were articulated allowed us to do that really well.
0: Yeah, very, very smart. Okay, this is fascinating because now we're talking like, you know, really mature. Like, a, like like smart scaling decisions that a lot of people don't talk about, right? Like, like, yeah, this is great, okay. So let's talk about, you talked about like the right time to add new categories. So let's just say someone has a hero product and they might have some accessories around that hero product. Um, and now they're looking to kind of bolt on a new line. Uh, potentially give it a crack for a new hero. Like, How do you know when that new time is? Because focus is key. And it's, like, like we talked about, you have to earn that right to understand how to sell that particular product, what angles resonates with what audiences. You've got to educate your team, now you're selling this one, this one, like, and there's got to be a spread, and yeah.
1: Yeah, I was talking to this early stage founder this morning and we were talking about that um, because I was asking her how many customers you have and she's talking about product expansion. I was like, you need to sell this product to a million people. And then, and then we can talk, you know what I mean? Like you, people get so caught up in, expanding and doing all these things, it's like you're not going to deliver. Your product's not going to be good because you're you're a small company. It's not going to be as good as it should be or could be for your customer because you're early stage. So I mean I think it depends on like your market and your price point and all of that. But I think in I think really what every early stage founder should do or mid is what are the milestones that I need to achieve before I start product expansion or start international expansion, whatever those things are. So like, I meet, I'm going to get to 500,000 customers, and then I'm going to do X, and I'm going to get to a million customers, and I'm going to add Y. And um, in, in that way, it's, it makes you really focus. If you have that great product that we talked about, then you should be selling that product to a lot of new people, not selling, creating new products to send, sell to the, the 10,000 people you've acquired. And then it just helps you focus more and focus. It's also easier to sell one thing more than multiple, which is all learning that we had, right? Like I said, it's about bras into underwear. When you sell one thing, it's easy to do it pretty well. When you have five things to sell, what takes the priority? How do you talk about it? People start potentially trading. They're not gonna buy everything. Um And then the last point I'd make is I think you really want to be cognizant of what you're trying to do. Are you trying to attract new customers with your new product or sell more to your current customers with your new product? Because those are two totally different decisions that would likely make you create different types of products.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think oftentimes once you do get a bit of traction, it's exciting to create new products and you can get caught up in that and then you think, okay if I have, you know, 30,000 people that have bought, then I can do a promo around this and we can, you know, then we go, then we can sell more and then we can have more potential upsells and then we can raise average order value. And then, yeah, it, it is an easy trap to fall into, I think.
1: Yeah. And look, like, I think some things are easier than others. So if it's reasonably low lift to develop it, okay, you could contemplate it. But if it's a big money and time investment, like You have to really, really know what's going to move the needle for you.
0: So I'm curious around, I guess, uh, retail. Uh, Have you guys uh, opened any retail stores or looking to?
1: We had a pop-up that we had opened in New York City and Soho in 2019 in the summer. And we shut it down when the pandemic hit in March of last year. Um, we had plans to open five stores last year, um, but hadn't signed any leases. So right now we're 100% percent d c with no immediate plans to do physical retail again right now.
0: I'm curious as well, when it comes to fulfillment, are you guys uh, in-house or using third party?
1: We use a 3PL. To me, it's not a core competency for us as a brand. And it's a big undertaking and there's other people who are better. at it. So, you know, my advice would be there are certain businesses that I know, especially um, businesses that are more potentially like subscription based with lots of items where they really need to personalize it, that they have their own DCs and they operate them. And it makes a ton of sense operationally because it's a competitive advantage. But again, it goes back to like, what's your competitive advantage? Ours is not distribution. It's not our warehouse.
0: Interesting. Because, yeah. I think um, companies, as they do try and scale, they try and control the whole supply chain. Um, And that is, yeah, obviously customers want want things faster. Amazon is training people to to expect that. Um, Okay, interesting. Uh, Any thoughts on Amazon going there, touching that?
1: We haven't. I mean, a few reasons. I mean, I think in particular our core product is still bras and bras are really hard to find your size. Um, most women who purchase with their love do our fitting room um, and do that experience to get a size recommendation, which wouldn't happen on Amazon. So then you basically end up, I believe you end up with women who have a subpar experience because they're not wearing the right size. So I, again, it totally depends on like what you're selling, but I think if you have, If there's hurdles to purchase, right, for the customer and they need to interact with something or be educated um, about some aspect, it's hard to do that on Amazon. And then there's like other reasons why. That being said, a lot of companies have found Amazon to really help them scale, right, and reach new customers. Um, we, We don't sell. We never have sold on Amazon.
0: Yeah, it does sound like it's the right fit for you guys.
1: No, but we did do wholesale in the early days. Like we sold through Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom, you know, and when we were building our brand and did that for a while, um, we don't anymore. But um, I think there's alternate ways to like reach customers through different partnerships um, that are really smart and aligned with, you know, your customer base and your values. And, and, um, and so, yeah, certainly having other areas besides like the Facebook and Instagram to acquire customers is a good idea.
0: Yeah. I guess that's kind of where I'm going. Like what's next for you guys? You, um, you know, you just, you said you launched underwear and, uh, that's obviously a really exciting space for you guys, but I'm curious. Yeah. What's next? How do you plan to, I guess, become the largest online bra and underwear company in America?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this past two weeks, we've launched like five or six things at third love. We launched lounge and sleep, We launched our new fitting room, which is the next version of the Fit Finder with style and um, 3D animations and just a much more nuanced experience. We've launched Kidding, which is buying multiple products together for a discount. Um, We launched our new campaign that I just talked about all within the past two weeks. So those are more micro things. I think as we think about growing, I think one, you know, international to product expansion beyond. What we have today, which is lounge bras and and underwear um, and then three some 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 component of of in person so, so TBD, what that is, but I do think um, the 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 in life you know representation of the brand is really important for a consumer company, so at some point that would be part of our strategy like I said it's not like immediate but at some point
0: yeah, it seems to be that. Yeah, that's what tends to happen with these uh, direct consumer brands, like modern ones. Like, you know, Glossier, right? Like what they're doing with their store. So, um, you know, we have an office in New York and you know, I used to go there all the time <laughs> before the pandemic. And, you know, my, my partner, that's her favorite brand. You can't even get Glossier um, in Australia. And like I'm lining up and i am gone to those stores and I see just it is insane how passionate people are for that brand. Like crazy.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And yeah, the in-store experience is really part of it, right? It's the brand brought to life. Now, beauty obviously is a category where women tend to shop together, right? So it's very different than like intimates where it's a very personal shopping experience. So it's, again, it's like all about the category and how people shop for the product. But yeah, absolutely. Like that social component and then also the brand coming to life you know, through that experience in stores is, 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 huge. It connects you more. You feel engaged. You feel part of the community.
0: Yeah. Even for me, like the pink bags, the, um, kind of like the, the science kind of uh, white, uh, suits that, that, the, that the girls are wearing when that work there. Um, and just all pink, like, yeah, it, it is really cool. Yeah, totally. Okay. Interesting. So look, we have to work towards wrapping up. Um, I'm curious, uh, is there anything that you would like me to ask you that I haven't yet, or any questions um, that you'd like to share with our audience of early stage startup founders?
1: I mean, I, I think the you know the biggest thing is that as I, I at least for us, like in the early days of Third Love, it felt like more went wrong than right, and you have a lot of lows and maybe not as many highs. It's kind of natural, and so. I think you just have to recognize that over time, it does get easier. It doesn't get easier, meaning like the problems you solve are bigger, but it becomes a little less bumpy. And so I think knowing you're, it's all moments in time. And, and then two, the other thing I would say is that I think I took things really personally and deeply in the early stages of the company. I would get really upset about, something that went wrong and I'd spin on it and I'd obsess about it. And and now like if that same thing happened today, I would like spend five minutes on it, maybe less, and move on. And so it's all perspective, but I would say if any piece of advice I could give, it's like just don't take it so hard, you know, just like recognize it didn't work, recognize whatever, make the decision, move on and like stop obsessing on the past, like focus on the future.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, that's great advice. Sometimes harder to know though when you read it, right?
1: <laughs> no, totally, a hundred percent. But even like, even if you can say to yourself mentally, like there was this thing that happened three months ago and I, it was somewhat similar, like, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. So like, let me like approach this next, like valley of death, knowing I'm likely going to get through it because I got through the last one. And just like the more times you can do that to yourself and train yourself to be like, I felt this way before. I'm not going to do the exact same thing I did last time. Like you've got to grow as a leader. I mean, somebody once said to me, and I think this is a really good point, like your company is going to grow. Maybe it's growing like this, but generally if you're successful, it's going to be growing at some pace up and you're here and you have to stay above the curve. You have to be growing faster than the pace your company's growing. Otherwise, you're not going to be a good leader and you're not going to be able to scale the company. So you have to have a growth mindset for your own self, as well as having that growth mindset for your company. And that means like recognizing these patterns and like evolving and, and you know, learning to, to react differently and have a different mental perspective.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. Um, I'm a big fan and, and do believe that the reflection of your company's growth is a reflection of you as a leader like of of your own personal growth.
1: Totally. Yeah. And like we all are on a journey, right? You know, we're all on a journey and your company's on a journey and your team's on a journey. And so the sooner you recognize that and can lean into that, it's, it becomes really exciting to see that progress versus scary, you know?
0: I have to ask you as well, during those times when, you know, you wouldn't get one sale, did you ever feel like giving up and what kept you going?
1: I'm not one to like accept failure, like, and I think that's probably innate to most entrepreneurs or the ones who succeed because there'll be like so many failures that you won't be able to even count them. Like, not succeeding wasn't an option. Like, to me, that was like, even in I there was one investor, early stage investor, who told us to throw in the towel at one point, and we'll always remember him saying that and how bad it was because we're like, no, you know, no way. No, like we're going to make it, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to figure it out. And we did, but you know, you just have to be able to say like, I'm going to keep pushing, like I'm going to try something new. I'm not going to get down. I'm going to keep trying something until it sticks and have that perseverance. I don't know, you know, if you don't have that, you won't you're not going to cut it
0: (laughs) as a founder and during these times or even now do you do anything on for your own personal growth do you listen to potential like books or like listen to youtube like like is there anything that you do to keep your mindset like and, and to fuel it and that thinking big and like
1: yeah i mean scott galloway is pretty awesome in terms of like leadership lessons um uh, there was a guy in my YPO forum. So I'm a member of YPO. I joined a few years ago. And that's been a really good network for like growth and like holding myself and others accountable for things we need know we need to do. Um, but one of the guys in my forum um, wrote a book called Master, Master Your Code. And I would really suggest people read it because it's all about this idea that we have these preconceived, notions about ourselves that actually impact almost everything we do and how we view the world and how we view ourselves. And unless you can unlock that and understand that, you actually can't, um, you can't, you can be good. You're never going to be great. And so the idea of Master Your Code is if you want to be a great leader, a top 1%, how do you do that? And it's about really understanding in the core of who you are. A lot of it comes from childhood, like not to get too into all this stuff, but like, it really does. It's like, you know, those, there's these moments that define who you think you are, who you, how you think you behave. And when you unlock that, it allows you to make radical change and and change the way you view the world. And so really it's a lot of, it's about you control you. And so I, you know, every day, you know, I talk, I always, this is my own personal motto. It's like, I can't control almost everything in the world, right? Like I lack control in many, many areas, but what I can control is what I do, how I feel, what I say, and how I prioritize my life and third love, you know, in in a nutshell. And If I really focus on what's in my control, then that's how I can make an impact. If you get spun up on other people and other companies and this and that and all this stuff, it's like you spend all this emotional energy on something or people that is totally out of your control. So you got to, you do you, like, right? Every day you wake up and be your best self, you bring your best self, and everything falls into place more often than not. Anyway, it's called master your, master your Code. It's a good one.
0: Yeah, okay. Awesome. No, that's, that's, that's an amazing realization. Um, it's funny you mentioned YPO. I'm just about to join as well. Uh, I yeah. Like literally have an interview with the missions people next week in Melbourne, of course. But yeah. Um,
1: yeah, it's, um, it's cool. It's, it's, a very, it's, it's a nice network. And it's great because you have people outside your industry. So it's so diverse that there's just like a lot of learnings. And everyone struggles with the same thing, though.
0: Yeah, no. It, yeah, the forum experience is amazing. I, I really enjoy it because um, I was an eo as well. Um, awesome. Well, look, we will work towards wrapping up. Uh, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work?
1: Um, well, thirdlove.com and then I'm um, at Heidi on Instagram. That's probably like my most active handle and LinkedIn. I'm on there as well. And then, um, yeah, I write a weekly column on Inc as well about entrepreneurship and leadership and female founders and all kinds of stuff. So also on Inc.
0: Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Heidi, and just being so uh, open, honest, and uh, you're just real about your journey. And congratulations on all of your success thus far.
1: Thanks a ton. Thanks for having me. It was a good chat.
0: Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview